Welcome to the Legend of the Death Race podcast. I'm your host, Tony Matisse, and every week we share legends from past death racers on the courage, power, and wisdom it takes to conquer life's obstacles. All of us death racers aspire to inspire you to create a life past your limits. Today's legend follows the story of death racer Doug Lewis. Doug grew up in the ski hills of Vermont. He was a 1984 and 1988 Olympian in alpine skiing downhill. He got the 1985 World Championship bronze medal for downhill skiing. He's retired from ski racing in 1988 and got a degree from UVM. He started Elite AM Fitness Camps in 1991, and they are now in their 29th year of business, inspiring young athletes to go out there and get after it. He also worked for NBC as an alpine analyst for the World Cup and Olympic coverage, and uh, he was the winner of the inaugural death race in Pittsfield, Vermont, 2007. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Doug, welcome to the show. Uh, it's great to be on the show. I've listened to a lot of your uh, podcasts. I enjoy them. Awesome. Awesome. So glad to hear that you uh, listen in, too. Uh, super stoked to have the, the first winner of the inaugural death race on the show. It's pretty awesome. Uh, you're a legend in your own right. And, uh, you know, personally, as someone who's dedicated a large part of my life to death race and everything death race i'm definitely feeling like uh starstruck right now so <laughs> super excited to have you and, and get your legend recorded so thank you um beyond what i just uh kind of introduced can you tell us a little bit about um you know what it was like growing up in vermont and and what what your occupation was um throughout all of this Right. Um, I came from uh, a family with, uh, I have two brothers and a sister, and my mom was a ski instructor. So what did we do growing up? She just dropped us off on the hill while she taught, and we just ran and ruled and crazed around the mountain. And I grew up in Vermont on the slopes of the Middlebury College Snowball, tiny little ski area. And I fell in love with skiing, number one. I still get to ski as much as possible, which is awesome. And then I fell in love with racing. I'm, I'm a competitive guy. Um, and if you had asked me at eight years old, this little guy in a snowmobile suit ripping around the mountain, what do you want to do? I said, I'm going to be in the Olympics. I'm going to be uh, on the U.S. ski team. And so I had that goal early, super competitive, worked my butt off. And that was my focus for the first 26 years of my life. That was I, what I ate, who I talked to, when I slept. Everything I did was focused on that goal that I set so long ago. So that's how it started. I retired and then in 1988, as you said, about 26 years old. And it threw me for a loop. Uh, it was a tough transition. But growing up, I had the best childhood. It was just outside skiing and competing. That's awesome. And I, yeah, I imagine that would be a tough transition because you've gone from having like your whole life's focus on this one, you know, singular goal and then to achieve that goal. It's like, OK, now what? You know, and For what, sure. was that, what was that like trying to figure out what was next? What did what did you how did you go through that? Well, you, you, you know, I was the guy, you know, I was in Sports Illustrated magazine. I was on the cover of, uh, of newspapers and things. And I was the first ever U.S. male to win a world championship medal in ski racing. So it was like you become the product. You are what you are. And then once you retire, you think you're at this level and you're just going to go to whatever you do at that same level. And that's not how it works. Uh, you got to start at the bottom again. And it was really tough. I didn't know who I was. Um, uh, I was lost. 
Um, it, it was just a really tough time. And I had all these visions of what I should do. You know, I should be on Wall Street. I should be a millionaire. I should be on television. And um, until I really figured out what I wanted to do, which was to inspire and educate kids and help them push their limits and, and follow their dreams, it was a tough time. But then once I found that goal, once I found that passion to replace skiing, it was easy. It was work hard, set your goals, do the same thing that you did in skiing, but just doing a different focus. But it was a tough couple of years. I can imagine. Uh, how did you find figure that out? How did you figure out that it was your goal? going to be your new goal? Well, uh, as I said, I was going to, you know, go to school, get a job on Wall Street, because that's what you did, right, as successful yeah. people. And the more I followed that or learned about that, it wasn't right for me. It just didn't feel right. And so during the weekends, um, I would coach at the Green Mountain Valley School, which is the ski academy I went to, just kind of coach eight, nine-year-olds for fun. And uh, I fell in love with it. It was awesome. Here are kids that were me 20 years ago, and I was going to be able to teach them to not make as many mistakes as I did. Just give them a couple of tools, and they reacted, and we had that connection, and I've been doing it ever since. So I own a, a company called Elite Team, and we teach kids about sports physiology, sports nutrition, and most importantly, sports psychology, which is the whole thing. The only reason I'm a world championship medalist is because of what's between my ears. Uh, I was a decent skier. I was super athletic, but it's the mental capacity that, that defines champions. I definitely want to talk about that more as we get into the, the episode, because I think as many people know that the death race is almost all mental. Um, and so I definitely want to get into your head a little bit in, in that sports psychology. Um, real quick, just to give us like an idea, how old were you when you did that first death race? How old are you now? Oh, I got to do some math here. I'm, 50, <laughs> I'm 56 and I did it 13 years ago. So what's that put me at 44, 43 years old? Uh, definitely an old guy. <laughs> you're not that old. You are definitely still young. I mean, look at what you're doing. I see you out there skiing and everything still. Um, very cool, though. Very cool to hear. And so how did you discover this this crazy thing called the death race? I mean, you went from skiing to, to death. How did you get there? Uh, quite frankly, uh, so this was the first death race. So there was no death race. Right. This was, the, um, this I was, was like the uh, death division almost, right? Right. Yeah, I, it was the death division, right? So I want—I was uh, coming off of a back injury in the spring, just old man back. It wasn't whatever, and I was looking for a ten-mile trail run to do. Just that's what I was looking for, and I was looking for races. And I saw, oh, the death race, uh, ten miles of challenges or running or whatever it said, but I'm like, oh, there's a 10 mile thing. I just have to do some challenges, which I thought would be like running through some mud or swimming across a lake or I don't know what it was, but I was like, I can do that. And the name of it was the death race. And their cool little quote was, you may die. And being my personality of challenges and whatever, I'm like, oh, I got to do that. It's a trail run, which I'm looking for. And they're going to try to kill me. So I'm in, whatever. <laughs> and it was just, I think I saw it in the newspaper. That was it. And, so cool. um, and then uh, little did I know what exactly what it was. It was craziness. 
Yeah, and so was that like a local like newspaper that you founded in maybe like from like in Vermont? Yeah, I'm sure it was just some local the you know the Valor Reporter from Waitsfield, Vermont. Waitsfield, Vermont, where I was living, is only 20 miles from Pittsfield. So, and I grew up in Vermont, so I knew Pittsfield, I knew Route yeah. 100, I I know the deal. Very cool, very cool. Um, and so uh, that was 2007. So, what was your why? Why were you looking for a trail race? Why were you looking for this challenge? Uh. You know, ever since I retired from skiing, I had to find something to push myself. I went, I got into skydiving. That was fun for a while, scared myself and whatever. And then I did whatever, biking. I just kept looking for things. And running, uh, which I hated as a ski racer, as an Olympian, I hated it because I was a, I was a downhill skier. So it was two minutes. I'm an anaerobic athlete. I'm not a aerobic. So I just kind of changed into this and I fell in love with trail running. So I was just looking for a trail run. And it was local. Um, it had death race on it. And so this is what I'm going to do. And I didn't know Joe. I didn't know Pittsfield very well, except getting speeding tickets as I went through it. Uh, on my <laughs> and um, I went down for the registration the night before. They had it at the general store the night before. And I met two people. I met Joe, first time I ever met him. And he was way into it. Um but I didn't tell anybody that I was an Olympian. I didn't tell anybody my history. I was just Doug. I was signing up. And the other person I met was David Goggins. David, the yeah. David Goggins. He was running a 50-mile division. There was a deck okay. division and a 50-mile show race. And here's David Goggins, who I didn't know from anybody. And he's like, dude, you're doing the death race? And I'm like, yeah, why? It's just a 10-mile run. He goes, do you like dark, wet places? And I'm like, why? He's like, you are going to die tomorrow. Like, he scared me so much. I don't know how he knew. He must have been talking to Joe. But here's David Goggins, which I didn't even know, telling me you should just run away. And I'm like, <laughs> whatever. And so I went back. And then the next morning, it started at 5 a.m. So I woke up at 3.30, did with deal, and drove down at 4. And, and it started at 5, right on time. That's incredible. Um, wow. What an amazing person to meet at the start of your career. Like, that's so cool. But he's telling you to run away. Um, not something I would expect David Goggins to tell someone to do. <laughs> well, I don't know if it was the whole Joe thing. <laughs> right. Try right. to make them quit before they start. But I th genuine, genuinely, he was like, wow, you're in for some, some gnarliness tomorrow. <laughs> that's pretty awesome. Um Okay, before we get into like that race and what that was like, what was the training like leading up to this event? Because you didn't know anything about it. You didn't really know. You thought it was just a trail. There was, no tra there was no training. There was yeah. no training. I was going off a back injury in what April, and I was feeling strong again. So I said, let's look for a trail run. There was no training. I mean, to your death race listeners, I mean, I don't know if you can imagine it. There was no death race. So I, imagine showing up for a trail run and doing what you did. It, it was ridiculous. <laughs> oh, this is going to be great to hear this story. So um, did you have any fears, uh, especially after talking to David and him kind of like, <laughs> I, 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 you know, like 10% of me is like, what is he talking about? What wet, dark places? Like that's not even part of it. I'm I'm trail running. Um, but it all started the telltale sign was I got there at 4, 4 a.m. At 4.30, you had to sign a release, right? And it was the death race. So what's the release going to be? Well, the release was on video. 
Okay. They videoed you reading the statement that you may die, you won't sue anybody, you may lose limbs. You know, it was the scariest thing. And I just remember, what have I got myself into? I started looking around like, how am I going to get out of this? Like, <laughs> is going on so that was like the thing it's like why would i need a video release it's that gnarly yeah that's that's pretty that's pretty intense uh thankfully they don't go that far these days but um so with that you go into the your the very first death race and if you can paint myself and the listeners uh, a picture what was that first death race like there was only 13 of us and um the run the 50 mile runners started at like 4.55 and we started five minutes later. So we're all there cheering on the runners. They head off and then I'm like, okay, those 50 miles are crazy. I'm just doing a 10 mile, let's start. And and so they line us up and they put us in these sections. You had your section and uh, Andy, I don't know if it was Joe or Andy, I think it was Andy Weinberg. He's like, okay, your first task, is to go get one of these logs. It was an eight-foot log, about uh, 12 to 16 inches in diameter. Diameter is a pine log that they caught. They cut the day before because it was green. It was oozing sap. It was like still alive. You got to go get that eight-foot log, drag it to your area, and with a carpenter saw, not a bow saw, not like a a carpenter saw. You got to cut that into eight one-foot pieces. Then using your mallet and your little splitter you had to cut those pieces into four he split those pieces into four that that was the start of the race i'm like where's the running like what is happening (laughs) and so we all and did you have did you have to bring this gear or did they provide no no no. they gave us a home depot bucket full of saw screwdriver just weird stuff (laughs) and this carpenter saw and so everybody went over and there's this dude that was so jacked up like a crossfit dude he had like spandex on he went over there and like picked up his log and went over and i went over and i could barely lift the log so i dragged mine i was like the only guy who like dragged it back and i started cutting it with this carpenter saw and it bound up like the sap bounded up like a half inch inch to the thing so i couldn't saw through the log oh, okay. and I'm like looking around and all these guys are like sawing and so i would just saw around the di- on the outside and then i'd put the mallet in there and i'd split it because there was no way i could cut the log right right so all you had to do was cut a log into eight pieces split it took me an hour and a half <laughs> at that oh, point it's like what is going on? This is the stupidest trail race I've ever even thought of. So that's how it started. And there were all challenges, but I think just, just, just put it yourself in that thing. There's a trail race going on. And for an hour and a half, I cut a log that was like still alive 10 minutes ago into eight pieces. It was ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, that is. And then, so you, you, you're cutting your log. Everyone else is also cutting their logs. Yeah, like four th- people quit right then. Four people quit right there? Yeah, they're like, we're at it. This, is this isn't what I signed up for. <laughs> this is the trail run, I'm out. So like a quarter of the people quit right on the first task. It was awesome. <laughs> that's hilarious. And so um, and from there, what do, you, what, do you, what do you guys do next? What's, so what's that's an hour and a half. The next thing is you had to use your Home Depot bucket mm-hmm. and move uh, a yard or three yards of sand 100 meters. So you walk over, you put some sand in your bucket and you walk it back and pour it into this area, hundred meters, right? 
I was bleeding. I think one arm was now longer than the other from carrying the one bucket. Um, and that took over an hour. So I'm two and a half hours in. I haven't moved at all from the starting line. <laughs> and it just got crazier from then. And I got to tell you the scariest part. And again, I was showing up for a trail run. You got to think about this. I had none, done no training. I had done right. no death race camps. Right, right. The next thing is I had to get my bucket and a 50-pound bag of sand in there and go down the pricker bushes, which death racers know. There's pricker bushes everywhere, right? Everywhere, yeah. So I go down. There's no trail. You go through this thing, and then you had to go through a culvert, which went under Route 100 from the farm to the Amy farm. Oh, yeah, I know that. I know that culvert. 30-inch culvert, running water, 100 feet long under Route 100. Luckily, I was the third guy to get there. There was two brothers in the pipe already. And you couldn't, You think you just put the bucket in front of you, get on your hands and knees and push it. You can't. You got to go on your back. So you put your bucket ahead of you. You're on your back. You're 40, 50 pounds of sand are on your belly. And you scooch for 100 feet, three inches at a time on your oh, back. God. Oh, God. All the salamanders and bugs and water are flowing over your face. And all I could think of was the pond above this culvert is going to breach and we're all going to drown. Um, a lot of people quit at the pipe. They got to the pipe and they're like, I'm out. Like two people good. So that was the scariest thing. Like a mat, just you can imagine it's pure dark. This is the David Goggins nightmare right here. Pure mm -hmm. dark. You're in the middle of, uh, of this culvert a hundred feet and it's just a nightmare. So that's how my first three hours of the death race began when I expected to run a 10 mile race in about two hours. Yeah. Yeah. And then done. At this point, you've already seen half the field quit. Yes. So, where's your headspace at? Like, how are wh what are you doing? Like, are you like, are you questioning why you're here? Like, what am I doing? I'm questioning everything. I'm questioning yeah. everything. Um, however, right after that, we had to climb under the barbed wire. Of course, there was barbed wire, which everybody knows at the death race. A lot of barbed wire we had to crawl under with all that equipment. They found out that I'm Olympian at that point. Mm. And Joe found out. And then that's the turning point. There was no way I was going to quit at this point because not only was I Doug Lewis at that point, but I was Doug Lewis representing every Olympian that has ever, ever competed yeah. against Joe, who wanted everyone to quit. I right. seriously think, and I, I, he would say this, he wants everybody, he wants no finishers. That's his goal yeah. for the death race. And so it became a battle of Andy, Doug, and Joe at that point for the next nine hours. <laughs> and so what were those next nine hours? What what were some of the highlights? Um, we had to dive into those ponds, which you guys, I, I've read a lot about and seen a lot of death races. We had to dive down into ponds and get um, cinder blocks off of the ponds. And of course, there was dead, um, I think they were planted, like real, but they were dead like squirrels in the pond. Oh, then we had our big thing, our big like probably theme of the whole thing is we had to build a wheelbarrow from a box, it was like a Home Depot box wheelbarrow, and all the directions were in Chinese. So we're building this wheelbarrow, it was me and the two brothers, we were way out in the lead. And, and we, then you built your wheelbarrow, you put your uh, toolbox in it, your tool bucket, you put your 40, 50 pounds of sand in, and then they gave you a tire, just like a regular tire, that, that all that. So you had like 70 pounds of stuff in your wheelbarrow, and then you had to wheelbarrow that wheelbarrow 10 miles up. I guess you guys know all the trails and the mountain names, yeah. but you had to go 10, 12 miles with a wheelbarrow. 
So I thought it started out on a little road by Amy Farm. I was like, oh, sweet. I can jog or push this wheelbarrow. It wasn't on a road. It was on like a long – it was like the long trail or the Appalachian yeah. Trail, right? Yeah. You couldn't wheel the wheelbarrow. So for 12 miles, I would take the bucket with the sand in it, 50 yards. I would come back and get the tire and bring it, and then i get the wheelbarrow. Then I'd do the sand, the tire, the wheelbarrow for 10 miles. <laughs> so I went 30 miles or yeah. 60 miles, whatever it is, added up. But that became the test is the wheelbarrow, the tire, the sand, the tools on the trail. Just moving it from one place to the other. Just and it, moving it. We went up to some hill. It wasn't the cabin side. You were on the other side, and you had okay. to go way up to this thing. It was ridiculous. It was ridiculous. Yeah, so now your 10-mile trail race is like triple the distance, and it's just completely, completely different than what you were signed up for and expecting. The Legend of the Death Race podcast is brought to you by Trail Toes, the best anti-blister, anti-chafing cream there is. Trail Toes prevented me from having any blisters after 66 hours at the 2014 Death Race and continues to prevent blisters on all my mountain adventures. Get your jar of Trail Toes today. Use the code THELEGEND on trailtoes.com for 10% off your purchase. And don't forget to visit the Legend of the Death Race shop where you can grab a Memento Mori t-shirt or poster as a reminder to live your best life. Just visit legendofthedeathrace.com slash shop. You said that one of the more scariest, the scarier challenges was the um, the culvert. What would you consider was like the more like stupid thing that you had to do? Was this this moving this wheelbarrow or was there anything else? Um, I think it was the wheelbarrow, I guess, was stupid. Um, I don't know. Nothing seems stupid. It just seems really just insane and really weird. ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> like who thought this up? And yeah. the more I now know Joe, I know yeah. who thought it up. But at this point, you know, if we fast forward 10 hours later or whatever, I had to, I got to make some decisions. So I was like three hours ahead. There was only three finishers really, but I was like three hours, three hours ahead of the brothers. And they, Joe and Andy, didn't think anybody would be still racing. Seriously, they thought, oh, why is this guy still in this race? So they kept making, you know, then the negotiations started, right? Everybody knows the negotiations in the death race. So they gave me, I was at Jason Hayden's house. Hayden was another organizer of this thing. And they said, you can go up and over this hill and end at the farm, not the Amy farm, the other farm. Um, with the wheelbarrow and everything, and you'd be done. Or you can drop the wheelbarrow and and the sand and everything and just take the tire, but you have to go another five or ten miles, five miles or something. I instantly dropped that wheelbarrow. Like, the wheelbarrow be, was the worst nightmare of my life. <laughs> so I took that. And so then I actually could, like, almost jog. You know, I then I was like, wow, I'm on a trail. Even though I have to carry this huge tire, I was on a trail, and and it became um, pretty cool because I knew the finish line. Even though they ch kept changing the finish line, I kind of knew that I was going to make the finish line. But it was really a mental warfare between me and myself and me and Joe and Andy. The whole yeah, time. and let's talk about that. What was, the, what was the warfare going on between you and yourself mentally? The don't quit, you know, how, how much grit, how much is this worth it? You know, yeah. and it's, it was, if you look at it, it was worth nothing. Like, right. why would I do this? But, you know, as I look inside myself, goal setter, 
you know, I, I like to push myself challenges. I'm like the easiest coach to athlete ever. Cause you just have to challenge me. And so this challenge really resonated within me. It's like, this is me against myself and there's no way I'm going to quit. And so, um, once you make that decision and I made it early on, it was a, it was a no brainer, but it's still tough. You still have to recommit. All right. What's the next thing I got to recommit to not quitting. And then there was the whole Joe found out as Olympian. Andy was having super fun with me. Uh, Jason was creative in, in fixing up these crazinesses. So it was me against them because they didn't know, they didn't know anything about a death race, right? This is their first one. When do they end? They were making it up as they were going along. So it was totally. probably interesting for them to like, all right, how do we break this Olympian? Yeah, they were just probably just trying to figure out what, what if anything, was going to break you and, and how long were they going to be able to push you for before it was too much? Or <laughs> I got to tell you, the one last challenge they gave me is once I got to the wedding farm or that other farm, there was a bunch of rocks. I had to go up to the cabin and down. That was my last thing. I had yeah. to carry the tire. Um, but there was all these rocks weighing from like uh, five pounds, 10 pounds, 15, 20. Probably the biggest one was, I don't know, 40 pounds. And they had numbers on them, painted on them. And uh, the number represented the amount of money that you would get if you carried that rock from there up to the cabin and back down. Okay. So I had paid $75 to get into this race. So I picked the $75 rock, which was maybe 20 pounds. And so the, I carried that rock because fuck, this is going to be free. Yeah. So I carried the rock with the tire and all the thing. The last thing I remember is like, Oh, I got to do this all for free. <laughs> That's awesome. Did they actually, did you get yeah. to end up doing it yeah, for free? They gave, me, they gave me 75 bucks back my entry fee. That's awesome. It was awesome. That is awesome. Um, so getting through this, I mean, like you're prepared for a 10 mile run. So I'm guessing you probably didn't have much like nutrition or anything really prepared because you don't really need much for a 10 mile run. How did that all play out? How did, what, what did you do to sustain yourself? Uh, so I had a water bottle. I, I did have a knapsack cause I knew mm -hmm. I, whatever I had a, um, a water bottle and, um, I had a Kit Kat. <laughs> Nice. Yeah. And I don't know what top of mountain it was, but I remember just eating. I have a picture of myself sitting there six hours in, eight hours in, eating that Kit Kat, just like, oh, this is the best thing I've ever. <laughs> they did have grilled cheese at one stop. There was like okay. a, not a station, but there was a house you went by and they're like, you want a grilled cheese? Yeah. And I was like, yeah, give me a couple of grilled cheeses. But yeah, it was it was nothing. That's awesome. I mean, put in perspective, I signed up for a two-hour trail run. And it took me 13 hours. Mm -hmm. right? A lot of your death racers out there went for four days or three days. So it's a yeah. different – there's no comparison, but it's all in the expectations right. is, what, is what you have to get over. Right, absolutely. And, it, it, you know, the race evolved over time, but yes. – uh, for the first iteration, this was a crazy challenge, and especially with the expectation of it only being a 10-mile run. I mean, it's completely different and uh, still completely crazy. So, obviously, you're not going to be, like, hallucinating and stuff because it's only 13 hours, so we won't go into, like, that type of stuff. But um, you're dealing with controlled chaos uh, still, it sounds like. And so how did you deal with that controlled chaos where they're kind of trying to mess with you and, and find ways to break you? 
Totally. Um, and, and that was that, you know, that was just me staying strong to myself. I knew what they were doing. I figured it out pretty quick that they wanted everyone to quit. And I just said, you know, stay strong. Um, and that's the, that's the, a lot of people after I won that race, they started asking me, people still, you know, how do I win the death race or what's the secret? You have, it's all mental, as you said, and you've said many times in your podcast, you have, this is what I tell the guys. I say, you have to look at Andy and Joe at their face or Joe at this point and laugh at their face. They're going to tell you, oh, you forgot that? Go back down and do it. And you got to laugh at their face and say, yes, sir. You have to just enjoy it. You have to smile. When they try to break you, you have to smile. And that's a good way to go through life. I mean, things are always trying to break you down. You just got to look at the bright side and say, this is just another challenge. So that's, that's what I did. And that's my, that's my advice to anybody who wants to go in the death race. Yeah, absolutely. Like the, the harder it gets, the more you smile, you know, the, yeah. the more you'll be, the more you'll be able to survive. I can't, just think how can't lucky, just think how lucky you are to be suffering like that. That's what you got to right. think. How lucky am I? Well, I mean, I mean, yeah, really. I mean, think about it. The fact that we're privileged enough to be able to go and sign up and do something like this. There's other people out there in the world who probably like they have to suffer and they don't want to do it. Like we're choosing to suffer. So, I mean, it's we, we are pretty lucky. Um, it, well, I guess, you know, looking back now, it's kind of hard. But if you were to if you were to go back and do a death race again, what do you think would be a essential piece of gear that or top three essential pieces of gear that you would bring gear. that's a good question uh duct tape obviously yes um uh, do they allow you a knife some kind of a knife and a backpack i don't know if that's a piece of equipment but you're going to be yeah. carrying something i think um, a good pack is a really good piece because if your pack fails you i mean that can be that can be a race yeah and there's oh. nothing like duct tape. Um, duct tape can I, fix most things. <laughs> yeah, a pair of gloves. I had gloves for some reason, and that okay. saved me. Uh, but good pair of gloves. Yeah, I think those are some great pieces of equipment. Um, so I guess what was your defining moment during this race? I don't know that we fully covered that. Yeah, I don't know if there was a defining moment. I think, uh, I think every new challenge was a defining moment um just realizing as as it started that it was not a run and that this was going to be something completely different that was the defining moment and right there saying i'm going to do this anybody could have walked away anybody can quit but i'm going to be the one to to see this through to the end i think that that moment of commitment was it but then i just had to relive that moment the the entire time for sure right right totally and so uh, what was it like when you got to that finish line and they finally like told you it was over? Well, I, so I came off the mountain, I had my rock, had my tire and I was way ahead. You know, I didn't even know if any, I didn't even know if anybody was still in it. And I, the finish was down by the, the inn, not the word, the wedding dance party thing is it was down by the inn. So you came out of the woods there and I had what, 200 yards of field to go to the finish. And I could see everybody here. And I, I came down off the mountain and it was so emotional. I sat on a rock still in the woods so I could see the finish, see the people. And I just took a moment to myself. I'm like, I thought through this and it was very emotional. It was just like, wow, 
I'm actually going to finish. They could screw with me at the finish, but I think this is actually the finish. And it was like, uh, I'm, uh, you know, so emotional that uh, I could overcome all of this stuff and win. Yes, that was that was the 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 cherry on top. But to just finish this thing was was amazing. And that that little moment that I had to myself before I I went to the finish was was really cool. Yeah, that is really cool. And, you know, that's what it is. Like this, this race is not so much about winning or losing or it's, it's about finishing. If you can get through it, that's really what matters. I mean, it's super awesome that you won the first one. Right. But just, just finishing it. I mean, I mean, only a couple other people finished with you, I think. Right. Like, yeah. So three hours later, the two brothers came in, um, yeah. but, but they, they didn't have to do one area or one loop that I had to do and then there was a woman who finished but she didn't have to carry any sand mm-hmm. I sound a little like it still bothers me a little but that's also the death race too that that rules change but yeah, totally, I'm totally. super proud that um, that I finished and, and that I won I mean it is a race yeah. And if me and the brothers had come down to that field, I would have out sprinted them. It, <laughs> it is a race. Yeah, totally. Totally. <laughs> and there's there, only one winner. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And and you took the took the win that day, which is fantastic. Um, I guess when you finished it, what was it like? to finish the race and, and be like, okay, I signed up for something completely different. Like what kind of thoughts, emotions, how did you communicate with them after? Uh, I'm just curious. Some of those, what were those conversations like at the end? <laughs> it was, it was definitely a bonding moment between Joe, Andy and myself, uh, for sure. They wanted to break me. They were laughing the whole time. What can we make this idiot do? I was trying to respond as positively as possible throughout. Um, it bonded us forever. Uh, uh, Joe's a good friend of mine. We don't see each other a lot. We may talk here and there, but I think there's that bond that came from this inaugural experience of trying to break people. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, he's just not trying to break people. He's also trying to inspire, which is his way. But um, it was it was amazing. I just remember sitting at that picnic table, reliving it all. And they gave me um, a hammer that has death race. I wish I had it for this, which I got to show you, but it's this hammer and, and, you know, I have a bronze medal in the world championships and, and I'm a two-time Olympian, but this little death race hammer thing is right up there with that pretty special that's, award. That's super cool. That's super cool. Yeah. Um, so where do you think your courage comes from to do an event like this? You know, I've listened to a lot of the podcasts and and I think I may be atypical, like I'm not addicted to alcohol or drugs. I come from a family of uh, my parents uh, died, still married, like they were married their whole time. My brothers and sister and I get along. I'm married. I've been married almost 30 years. Like there's no there's no dark thing that I've been trying to get off my chest because mm-hmm. I listen to a lot of it. So I'm atypical, but I'm wired this way. Like I will push myself as much as I can to get my goals. Like I'm very goal driven. I don't know where it comes from, but I'm I, listening to a lot of your guests. I'm a little atypical. Yeah. I don't yeah. know. It's interesting. It's fascinating. There's no, yeah, I think, there's no demon inside of me. Yeah, and that's that's great. I know that like there are you know, people, 
there's people who have them. There's people who don't that do these things. It's super interesting to find out, you know, what drives someone. Um, so what do you think? What kind of uh, wisdom did you gain from doing this this death race? It, it just it just really nails down that you, you just got to commit. It's all about commitment. You know, a lot of people have dreams. A lot of people have goals. Um but they're just dreams if you don't commit. It's that second part of having a goal of committing in your belly that that almost makes it easy because mm-hmm. every answer is answered for you. Should I go out and train or should I stay in? I'm going to train because I've committed to this goal. And um, I think that's the key uh, to life is just really committing with your entire body, your entire mind and, and not giving up. And there's a lot of power that comes with that commitment. I love that. Is there any tips or advice you'd give to listeners to help them? Maybe, you know, if they, they're, they say they have this dream and they want to commit, like what, what they could do to kind of make sure that they ground themselves to really get that commitment going. Yeah. Well, as a coach, one thing that you th- you think about is when you are working with kids or with adults is to figure out that goal. What's that goal going to be? Because if it's too crazy, you'll never it's you can't commit to it. Right. Mm-hmm. And if it's too easy, that's just a joke. That's a participation medal. It's really finding that goal, that dream that is just out of reach, that is realistic, that um, that will motivate you. And so, um, that's the first step and, but you have to start small and I, and that's what we do with kids at our camps is like, let's get you some confidence by working up to that. Because as soon as you set a goal and accomplishment, Oh my God, that's a powerful feeling. It's a drug. Mm-hmm. Right? And then you set the next one and then you set the next one and then you set the next one. And so um, to anybody out there, the advice is, is just make a commitment, write it down and make it public. Whether it's Facebook, telling your friends, your parents, make it public because as soon as you put it out, it's real. Yes. And if it's real, guess what? You're going to get up in the morning and you're going to do those burpees or you're going to go on that run. And so just start small. But as soon as you get that momentum of accomplishing goals, it's a, that's the drug right there. Yeah, it is. And it's it's totally true because once you do start those little goals and you, yeah. you achieve them, a, you're like, okay, you redefine what's possible because now you've done that. Now your goal can be a little bit bigger. And then you just keep redefining your goals over and over again as you work towards that big ultimate. Yeah. Yeah. And and, you, and people are like, people. I talk to some athletes, even world-class athletes, they don't like set goals. And their big main reason is, what if I don't get my goal? That doesn't matter. The, the act of going and working for that goal is it. And if you don't get your goal, guess what? You've learned something, so the next time you'll get it. There is no wasted experience. Every experience is going to teach you something, and the failures are the best. I and, totally uh, agree with that. And, and, and uh, so at camp, at Elite Team, when I'm working with kids, we set them up so they can fail safely, they can fail positively, and, and they enjoy it. It's like, how far can I push myself? I know I'm going to crash a thousand times, but that thousand first time, that's going to be my success. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it's such an important lesson to learn, and the sooner you learn it, the better, because those failures, they really are our best lessons in life, right? No matter where they happen in our life, if if you learn something, it does. It's not really a failure because you learn something and you can yeah. use that to, to keep moving forward. Yeah, and for all the wannabe death racers, 
you have all the tools. Listen to this podcast, listen to other podcasts, read the books, whatever, and commit and do the work. If you do the work, there's no reason you shouldn't finish. Absolutely. Unless you get some weird injury, like I'll give you an injury or I'll give some, if they change the rules and they just kick you out of the race, whatever. There is no, if you've committed and done the work, there's no reason you should fail. Absolutely. I totally agree with that. And and if people are listening, that's what you got to do. You got to go commit, give it your all and make it happen. That's just with whatever, whether it's a death race or anything, just make it happen. Um, well, now that the death race is back, I mean, would you ever consider going back? <laughs> uh, when the death race turned 10, I think, I like put it out there. I said, like, get all the 10 winners and let's do it for some money and I'll come back. Uh, I don't think I'll ever do it again. I've, I've moved on to other challenges and uh, I did that thing. Um, uh, I'd love to be involved in, in putting one together. Uh, because I have some good ways to make people suffer. Um, <laughs> there you go. But I think I think I've moved on. Unless they bring back just the champions for a hundred thousand, Joe. Be, Joe, there you go. Make it happen. I think that would be awesome. <laughs> um, well, I always like asking this towards the end of the show. What um, what book or books would you give to anyone who wants to be an aspiring endurance athlete? Uh, well, the latest book that I've fallen in love with is, is called How Bad Do You Want It? It's by Matt Fitzgerald. And it's basically this cool book that's based on science that, you know, if you could boil it down, is that your mind will quit before your body will quit. And so your body, you know, your your mind is telling you that you should quit, whether you're you think you're dehydrated or you think you've done something, whatever. Your body is amazing. And so there's tricks in this book to help you beat your mind because no one's ever died running. Right. They've given up before they've gotten there. Maybe there has. Don't quote me. Yeah, yeah. But. 99% of the people will quit because of the mental rather than the physical. So this book is a cool book. It gives you a couple um, uh, tools to fight through when you yeah. want. Yeah, fantastic. I think that'd be a great book, especially for anyone wanting to do this this event, because I think that's the most true statement in, in athletics and endurance, et cetera, is that your mind is going to be telling you, what are you doing? You should stop. You should totally just go lay down in bed and, you know, maybe eat, eat a Kit Kat or something, you know, that, that would be good. Right. And your body can keep going like yeah. for so much longer than we realize. And I think, um, if you can get a way to control that control your mind, then you'll, you'll be able to do pretty much anything. Um, so what is next for you? You said you got a bunch of new types of things that you're into. What's next? So unfortunately, because of the pandemic, I just uh, my I signed up for my third hundred mile race. So I'm into this endurance thing. Uh, so I did the Run Rabbit Run. I did the Wasatch 100, and I had signed up for one in Lake Tahoe. It's, it's not Western States, but um, this fall it got canceled. So I'm looking for a, a hundred because I've been training pretty hard. Mm. Um, uh, there's this thing, you know, those Bucky's backyard things where you run yeah. four miles every hour for whatever. I'm into that. So I'm just looking for the next thing here in Park City is where I live. There is a 120 K jump. So the Nordic jump. Yeah. And um, there's 800 stairs, which goes up 400 feet. So the top of the jump is 400 feet. There's 800 stairs. I've been running those stairs lately. And uh, there's a goal of mine to run 
it for 12 hours and see if I can get 48 times up this stair. Oh, nice. So, like that. So uh, I've done the rim to rim at Grand Canyon. It's just like if there's something stupid out there, I'm, I'm signing up. <laughs> Do you ever think about doing like an Everest or something on those stairs? Like, you know, where you try to go for the Everest? Uh... Right, right. Well, 50, t- if you do 48 times times 400, whatever, you're, you're going up 30,000 feet. So I guess so you're, I you're doing at least, an, at least yeah. an Everest. Nice. I haven't nice. done it yet, but it's in my mind. I like it. I like it. Um, those all sound like some great fun challenges to, to go after. Uh, if you're looking for a, a hundred out Washington, I know it's canceled this year, but mm-hmm. next year, I really enjoyed the Cascade Crest 100. Yep. I signed like, up for that one, and if I didn't get into Wasatch, I was going to run that one, but I got into Wasatch. Oh, very nice, very nice. So, but that one I saw, I signed up for. Um, I didn't run it, but uh, that was on my list for sure. Yeah, it's a pretty cool one. 23,000 gain. It's uh, it's a good one, and it's some really beautiful scenery out here. So, awesome, awesome. Well, those all sound like great uh, endeavors to be going after. Um, Thank you so much for for joining us and sharing your legend. It's really exciting to have. Uh, at this time, I always like to give guests the opportunity to tell people how to follow you, how to stay up to date, and any information that you want to share about Elite Team, etc. Sure, uh, Elite Team is spelled a little weird. It's E L I T E A M. Um, EliteTeam.com will get you all the information. It's basically what I do. I try to inspire and educate kids on trying to be better athletes and to pursue their goals. Otherwise, you can find me on NBC talking about ski racing. Um, And if anybody wants to go out and run in Park City, just get a hold of me and let's go running. Super awesome. Thank you so much, Doug. Really appreciate having you. And stay tuned for more legends from past death racers. If you like what you're hearing, please leave us a review. This really helps the podcast move up the rankings so we can reach even more humans. Also, please don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. And if you find you really enjoy what we're doing, consider becoming a sustaining member by clicking the link in the show notes. Just a quick reminder, my legend, The Legend of the Death Race book is now available. Visit legendofthedeathrace.com book to order your copy today. Thank you again for tuning in. If you'd like to stay up to date on my current adventures and training, you can follow me on Instagram or Facebook. Just search the handle at That Endurance Guy or visit thatenduranceguy.com. We'll see you next time on the Legend of the Death Race podcast. Now go create your own legend.